0: Hey, friends, welcome back to the old fashioned on purpose podcast. Uh, Today, we are diving into a topic I really love, and it's also kind of one of my pet peeves, if you will. You know, I think one of the biggest dreams that homesteaders like you and I have is that we want to get the homestead, we want to be self sufficient, and then The ultimate is to be able to make an income from our homesteads, from the land or from the backyards or wherever that may be. However, I I get a lot of people coming to me um, with the idea of, you know, I'm going to be able to support my homestead and support my family by just selling our homestead extras. Maybe it's the eggs, maybe it's the soap, maybe it's a few jars of honey a year. And while I totally think that's a admirable dream, in reality, it doesn't really work as smoothly as we might hope in that regard. So I wanted to have someone join me today who does know how to make money from a small farm. He teaches people how to do this. He's a consultant. He's an educator, a farmer and an inventor. He lives in Ohio. Michael Kilpatrick, welcome to the podcast. I can't wait for this conversation.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Can
0: you start us off by giving us a little bit of your background? I feel like, you know, I read an introduction is not as compelling as you telling a little bit of your own story and how you came to this place.
1: Yeah, so kind of the last 20 years in a couple minutes is uh, I was born in St. Louis, moved to Massachusetts where my family first started gardening. My dad had no idea because he was a doctor, <laughs> and uh, but he did it because he wanted something to connect with his kids, which was fabulous because it really got us interested in growing things. In, in 1999, we moved to upstate New York where we bought eight acres and literally made every mistake in the book at least twice. Um, we were the... <laughs> so-called rich people from out of town in that little city of, well, little little village of maybe like three or 400 people, what Middle Granville had at that point. Um, so we rapidly scaled that business over a number of years to about a half million dollars in sales and about wow. 20 team members. Um, but I mean, the first year we were really only, you know, we made and making a couple hundred bucks a week, a week um, at the farmer's market. I remember that first year, we actually lost money because the booth fee was $5 and we made three bucks. Uh-huh. Um, yep. <laughs> so part of that was finding better places to sell our food. And we did. Um, we, ha- we ended up with really good mentors, Paul and Sandy Arnold, who I think are some of the top farmers in the U.S., maybe they've been on their piece of land for now 30 years and are now passing it to the next generation after, you know, uh, spending several weeks on a, you know, round the world cruise. I mean, that's one of the things, if you have a profitable farm, profitable farms make money, Mm -hmm. Um, but it takes time to get there. And I think that's the biggest, if, if we were to, you know, sum everything up we're going to talk about today is this takes time. Doesn't happen overnight, um, but we built that farm. We ended up um, winding that farm down in 2015 to move to Ohio because that's where my wife's uh, family is when we had our first daughter. And then in 2020, we found another piece of land um, that we eight acre urban uh, property that we are now turning into what we call the farm on Central, and that is an on farm um, shop. And we have you pick flowers on there. We have you pick strawberries. Um, we have a bunch of hoop houses and greenhouses. We do about a bunch of horticulture and we, uh, you know, feed people and educate them on what it takes to eat and live more healthily. Mm, I love that. Yeah, so you've kind of
0: done all the different versions, it feels like, been there, done that, seen a lot of things, yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. And even between in 2015 to 2020, we were on a third of an acre in the city and we were, we tilled our entire yard up. We had a little hoop house in the backyard. Um, Our neighbors called the cops on us because we had (laughs) row cover hoops leaning up against their garage, which technically their garage was on our property, but you know, you can't tell 80 year old people that. So yeah, lots of fun stuff. That's exciting. Yeah, that's uh good
0: stories, good stories. Um, so I, I said in the beginning in the intro, I said, Pepe maybe that was harsh, but I feel like I'm constantly bursting people's bubble or maybe I'm not even bursting. I just hear, hear the dreams coming to me when people are sharing mm-hmm. their ideas. And I'm like, Oh, I know this is, is going to be a hard road, hard lessons for you. Um, but before I hit record, you, you and I talked a little bit about, you know, the dream that you're going to support your property and make six figures a year selling eggs or soap or honey, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, Carrots. So, what would you say to someone who's listening to that, and they're like, "Oh, Jill's like poking you know holes in my, <laughs> in my big idea." Um, how can yeah. we let those folks down gently, or how can we start to redirect them a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, first, if you want to make six figures off eggs, first just to make six figures in income, that is twenty thousand dozen of eggs. So, you just got to start thinking about volume here, um, and um, uh, soap. There's a lot of, every single farmer's market I've been to has at least one, if not two soap vendors. So again, there's some oversaturated things. Um, You know, some things are uh, what I, before I, you know, start downing everybody, I do wanna say there is unbelievable opportunity for a small farm, small homestead to make money. On their farm. I mean, that's what we teach. That's what we see excited, you know, farmers across the nation and around the world doing. So it's very possible. Um, you have to be creative because again, there's everyone out there. You know, Joel Salatin wrote, you know, Pastured Poultry Profits, and now you have everyone and their brother pulling pens around their yard and selling chickens. Yes. Um, even though I still think that's a very profitable enterprise, and we saw that in our stores. We've sold out several batches, and um, you know, the biggest opportunity there. Just a quick side note is cutting them up into. Um, You know, eight pieces, you know, your breast, your legs, your thighs, your wings, and uh, then selling those because that's an instant. It takes you 30 seconds or a minute to cut that chicken up. And now you've instantly doubled your value of your chicken. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, but it really comes down to is further processing is I tell people, let's let's farm and feed people, not grow food. Mm-hmm. Uh, because growing food is literally just growing and, you know, cherry tomatoes in your backyard. But unfortunately you're probably going to let those cherry tomatoes split and rot on the ground and then cause a problem next year with all the little cherry tomatoes coming up when the real opportunity is making pre-paled paired salads and selling to people or putting them in the local, um, the local CrossFit gyms or something like that, because that is what people want. We have to realize that consumer is very different than it was 10, 20, even, uh, you know, five years ago um, the consumer now they want ready to eat. I mean, we have someone in our city here who, again, he's a leader in our community. He has several businesses, a very nice guy. He stopped here maybe a couple times over the couple of years we've had it open. His wife stops once in a while, but he's like, Michael, we don't eat. Uh, we don't cook. He's like, we go out every night and get something to eat. He's like, if you had a ready to eat meal for me, I would be stopping in every single night and buy it from you. Cause he has the income. Um, but he, again, he just doesn't like the cook because so many people don't his wife's a full-time teacher she's very busy with what she does and so just that aspect of he's not going to come buy lettuce uh, cherry tomatoes and a cucumber and a bottle of dressing he literally is willing to pay double if it's literally in a container Mm. Um, but there's also that aspect of you know, so that's just one side. I did mention the aspect of you know prepared food, but um, there's only so much of that that I know people want to do. Some people just really do not want to do that. Um, but then there's other things like you know Christmas trees or um, you know, like we talked about cutting up chicken. But one of our one of our suppliers completely bypasses that. All the chicken they produce goes straight into chicken sausages, and they sell out. You know, in a day in our farm store. So again, it's that aspect of people don't want chicken, they want chicken sausages, and they will pay the price in the store, I think is 10 bucks for five sausages. And you know, they're your average, you know, um, you know, broad size. So that's two bucks each. And people are happy and I am ourselves because they're very good. Yeah. Um, but that to me is that value add or that differentiation is, you know, you, basically, if you're growing a cherry tomato, whether you like it or not, it's a commodity. That sits on the market, and you know that's a dollar fifty a pint. From you know, I can pick up the phone, call one of my suppliers, and hey, I want six flats, dollar each. And so, um, you know, that's just it's out there and it's very available. But that prepared salad is something very good differentiation. Or if you made a sun gold jam, that's a huge differentiation, and people are willing to pay very high dollar for that.
0: That is fascinating. And, yeah,
1: and a lot of those things we just named store. So obviously the prepared salad doesn't, but the, the, the Sun Gold <coughs> Jam does, the, uh, the chicken sausages store, um, and you know a lot of the things we're doing too is like health and wellness. So salves, balms, um, herbal remedies, that sort of thing too. I think there's a lot of potential there. I think there's a lot of people out there, but I still think because of the massive movement right now towards owning your own medicine and your own health, people are very interested in that. And so once you educate them, they're willing to buy. Um, and they're willing to switch to that, but they have to have the education.
0: Yeah, yeah. Man, so many nuggets in there. And I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but I think I feel like this is a good place to ask this because one of the concerns, not concerns, actually, just things I notice is as this awareness around food, the homestead movement, you know, regenerative ag, small farms is growing, which is fantastic, uh, Mm -hmm. there is Mm -hmm. more saturation in these spaces spaces, than there was two, three, five years ago. And so- what I'm hearing is potentially this value add mindset where we're not just growing the commodities, but we're actually turning them into products that are ready to roll. Is that, it, is that what you say yeah. would be a good way to combat saturation?
1: That's a great way. But I think we need to go back and take a, take a quick note on chickens because I know that's something that everyone's like, I'm just going to sell some eggs. Yeah. Well, when we started selling eggs um, back in, let's see, this would have been 2000, year 2001, they were a dollar a dozen. Um, Locally now here, the $3 a dozen during the, you know, the egg shortage of 2022- they were as high as six we saw them going for high as six dollars for just regular farm fresh eggs um but that lady was laughed out of the local facebook group mm, sure so, <laughs> yeah. um so i'm sure i think she sold them all but there was a number of people saying like which planet were you you yes. know and i'm like well you know really her cost of production is probably four dollars a dozen so exactly. to me that's you know six dollars is fair because you don't realize how much energy and how much protein and just the the, the goodness of an egg i mean egg is literally such a great food and so That's why I think obviously so many people raise them. Um, You know, I think the unfortunate part is they're raised many times in too high of concentration. To me, the egg and the chicken should be three to four in every backyard. And they're Mm -hmm. literally eating all the waste of that family's household and just you know, literally pooping gold. Um, But uh, most people end up with too many. They're feeding them a lot of feed and they put a lot of energy and money into it. And then they end up losing money on it. Um, When we were doing eggs, even at three to 400 hens, my brother kept running the numbers. And he's like, there's no way we can afford to sell eggs cheaper than $5 a dozen. Um, even at that point when our feed was not the prices it is today. Yeah. Um, so, you know, really where they're starting to make money is when you start a couple thousand chickens um, and you're using these larger systems and efficiencies. So that's where it all comes down to is the efficiencies. Um, but, you know, that whole aspect of a dozen chickens in your backyard, yeah, i will supply you and your family and you may sell a few, but it's not going to pay your mortgage.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and the cost of eggs is something I just think the, the average consumer has no idea
1: because we're so used to the
0: subsidies and and the commodity prices. Like my husband's constantly like, our eggs are so expensive. Just the ones we're eating ourselves. You know, it's just there's no way I'd make my money back, even selling them for six bucks a dozen.
1: Yeah. in fact, I mean it's interesting because like the eggs we eat come from our in-laws and they are, you know, rich egg rich yolks. I mean, I mean, just absolutely dark orange. And we actually get in certified organic eggs coming from the next county over for our store. And again, we love the people. They're great, great farmers but the color is different. Mm. The flavor is different. It's just not the same. And my wife and I are like, you know, if we were, you know, thank God that our in-laws are willing to do a couple dozen chickens, but he loses money on every dozen he he grows. Yeah. Uh, mainly because he's giving too much for free, but <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, yes. But uh, I mean, the ones he does sell, even at $6 a dozen, I, I I would say he loses money based on what I know his costs are because he's doing non-GMO feed and, you know, all yes. the other things that he has into it. Right.
0: Yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah. Um. Okay. So now I, I had to just ask the saturation question because I'm always fascinated by that. Um, so I'd like to back up. Okay. So we've busted the bubble of everyone who's going to try to sell eggs and make a million dollars <laughs> and the soap, the soap. Yes. pans. Okay. So someone's like, great, Michael and Jill way to go. Now, what do I do? So what are some first steps if they're really yeah. wanting to stop corporate, you know, get out of corporate America, move to the farm, live the dream? How on earth do we even start? How do we get the ideas? Where would you direct people first?
1: Yeah. So one of the biggest things I always say that people need is they need an understanding of business and marketing. Um, my mentor, Paul's told me first, Michael, you need to be a marketer, then a business person, and finally a farmer. Um, so getting that basics, and again, you don't need to go to school for it. You There's a couple books out there that I think if you were to read through, you'd be like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, okay. That makes sense. This is how you do it. I mean, the biggest things of understanding who you're who your avatar is or who your target customer is, and then what are the basics of how to sell them and how to make an offer to them is the key. So once you get that down, then you're golden because I find so many people don't know how to talk about what they're offering. They say, I have eggs. What they don't say is, I have literally the perfect food, which is can sit in a bowl on your counter. And anytime you and your family need some food, it's the perfect food. It's you can drop it in a pan and 30 seconds later, you have a, fr- a fried egg. You can scramble it. You can put it in a smoothie and it's that, that great amount of protein. And this is, you know, it has all these. And and grass-fed eggs or pastured hens have all these additional properties. You know, that's the kind of story you need to tell instead of, I have farm-fresh eggs, which, again, are great. A lot of people want them, but why would they pay the $6 compared to the $4? So you have to help them justify that additional cost of what you're going to be able to have to charge to make money. Um, But, again let's move on from eggs. Let's talk about just you said, You know, okay, I get my property. What do I do next? The biggest thing is what are the holes in your marketplace? And like, where are you? So if you're in the middle of Utah, and you know, you know, three hours from the nearest town, and yes, I do know those people. I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Um, but that's a personal choice. And again, on some days, I bet it's very nice not to have, you know, 30 people drive down your driveway. Yeah. Um, but you have to figure out what you're going to sell, because if you're trying to sell salad mix, salad mix is something that you can only fit 10 or 12 uh, pounds per case. And so that means it's incredibly, um, not dense. And so you have to have a very big truck to move a thousand dollars worth of that compared to, let's say our fire cider, um, our fire cider, I think if we'll retail per case, it's like $400 a case. And so when you're moving that and that case is literally like 18 inches by 12 inches, so when you're thinking about the difference there, the denseness of that product is like five to one or six to one. And the shelf life of fire cider is months compared to lettuce, which is weeks, if not just days. So you have to kind of look at what your market is. Now, if you are, let's say, a very small urban farmstead and you're in the middle of, on the edge of a big city, great. Go for it. Do the salads, do the stuff that's very perishable because that is a very high att- attraction. It can pull people in. The fire cider to me is something that... Education. Now, granted, after we build the education, now we've got a great repeating customer that come back again and again, but it is something that requires a lot more upfront work as well as you're supposed to have a certified kitchen for it. Um, It requires, you know, a lot of investment in machinery and, and, and work to like design labels and get processes approved and all of that. So there's the, the kind of what enterprise you're looking for and where you're located. Um, and also, what do you want to do? Because some people really do not want to be in a kitchen where they're chopping onions and garlic and with apple cider vinegar and horseradish and having to wear a little gas mask yeah. into the horseradish because that stuff's potent. It is potent. So you have to do what you like. Um, and if you have kids, um, I wouldn't recommend, you know, the highly intensive weekly turn vegetables um, just because that's something that you have to be literally hands in the dirt almost every single day of the week. Um, so compared to, you know, if you were like a young family, I would say more, go do something, maybe like you pick fruit where it has busy seasons at certain times, and then you can back off the rest of the year. So you have a busy season where you know, you're going to have to have some childcare for a couple of weeks. And then after that, okay, you're good. And it's just a couple of maintenance here and there to prune and trellis and that sort of thing. So it really depends on what you want what the local market needs. Like right here in our area, we've realized that there's not a lot of local organic fruit. In fact, there's very little. Mm -hmm. So that's why we've invested an acre or two of our farm. And we realized that you pick fruit is something that people will come in for. They don't necessarily want to come in and drive in and buy our tomatoes, but they will come in and pick the blackberries, and then buy a couple pounds of tomatoes on the way out the door oh. or the sourdough bread we have in the store. So it's aspect of, you know, what people are, are wanting to and what's needed in your local community. Because um, you're setting up, you know, you can grow some melons and you're next to this massive conventional melon farm. It's just probably not going to be a great fit. Yeah. So you kind of want to see what's, what's needed in your local community and kind of what your markets are going to be and how you want to set that up. Um, but those are the kind of the steps we like to go through, kind of do like an analysis and then see what we're, we're good at. Um, you know, there is that aspect of it's probably pretty easy to move the first twenty thousand dollars to on your farm. Let's say you're doing um, pork. You know, if you're deciding you're going to have one cat, one pig, it's not, it's probably good. You can probably just have six pigs. It's just as easy for care. And then those six, five pigs, you sell to ten different friends, a half to ten different friends. That's pretty easy. But once you go from that friends to now actually having to market and get new customers and pull them into your circle, people you don't, you know, otherwise know, um, then that starts becoming more of a challenge. And so figuring out that next step is where you need to start figuring out, do I really want to be in the business or do I want to keep my homestead more to the homestead and just having the pigs pay the mortgage and the pigs basically make my meat free? Because that's the easy part. The easy part is to make your meat free from just selling the other pigs. But once you start moving to the mortgage, healthcare, that's where it gets real fun and really dicey. Amen to
0: that. Yes, absolutely. Hey friend, I'm interrupting this episode for just a second to give a shout out to our sponsor, Genuine Beef. Now this is actually... My beef company, the one that my husband and I started a number of years ago to bring our grass finished Wyoming beef straight to your doorstep. And I know that whenever we start to shift into this fall and winter season, I get the very primal urge to stock up on food. And I know many of you feel that same way. So we have put together a freezer filler special to help you do just that. You're going to get four of our most popular beef roasts, the ones that are great for crock pots and those cozy winter meals as well as three pounds of our ninety ten ground beef. We're gonna put it all in a bundle and give it to you for 15% off while supplies last. Now we can ship this to anywhere in the continental US. We do second day air, we put a lot of dry ice in there so it'll get to your doorstep safe and sound. And if you want to grab a box or two or three, head on over to the prairiehomestead.com slash freezer uh, to grab your bundle. And I'll go ahead and drop that link in the show notes too. Now back to our episode. So when people are in that stage, cause I, I love marketing, I'm, I'm a marketer. I f- thoroughly enjoy it, but I know that makes a lot of people squeamish. I see people all the time. They just, they just don't want to talk about themselves. They don't want to talk about their product. That's like okay. you said, um, Sometimes they don't know how, but a lot of times they just feel like it's bragging, or you know, there's this weird self promotion hangup that a lot of us have. So when someone is ready, or they need to move from that realm of, okay, my friends and family are buying my stuff, cool, but I really need to branch out into the bigger market. How can they do that? Because I know sometimes, you know, on, I have the online world, I'm pretty comfortable there, but I know even like local marketing that can be trickier, at least it feels trickier for me. So what are some of your steps to do that?
1: Yeah. So one of the things we've done with our farm is we have found what our local consumers want. And we found the one thing that was like really, really needed and people really got excited about, which was our U pick strawberries. And we've scaled that as big as we can, because what we realize is that to us is a steady stream of new leads. And so that brings in in about four to five week period every year about 3,000 people to our farm. And so obviously some of those people are on our list, but a lot of those are brand new people that have never seen us. And so that has helped us continue to, and we make them buy tickets to the UPIC, which means that we all have, always have their email now. So we now have their email and we can remarket them. And then we start marketing to them with a first kind of a nurture sequence, tell them about our farm, why we do what we do, the why behind, you know, good food, how the, you know, what the industrial food system's like, how scary that can be. And, you know, how basically they're buying healthcare or Uh, when they're shopping with us compared to, you know, sick care when they're getting regular health insurance. So that's one of the things kind of we kind of the principles we talk about, and we use those strawberries to pull them in. So that to us, although we do make really good money on strawberries, that to us is almost like our lost leader. Sure, Um, But it's that one thing we pull people in. And so to me, like, you know, one of the things with the that again, going back to that chicken sausage, because it's so good, is to me, that to me is like a little bit of a lost leader, even though they do make money on that is like go to the farmer's market and sample the cheddar jalapeno brats. Okay, now you have a line of people who not only will buy those because they're great and you have them marked at a reasonable price, but they're now buy your whole chicken. They're now, this particular farm has a raw milk uh, herd share. So they're going to sign up for that, all that kinds of things too. And I think the other thing is to establish what is your offer too. So we've yeah. talked about, I mentioned that once or twice, but for us, we really want to focus people on signing up for our monthly CSA. That's kind of our offer. Is We really want to push them to that that 's what really pays the bills around here is those people that every month they you know drop one hundred and nineteen dollars or one hundred and fifty seven dollars every month with us so that 's the goal is, again, we move them from the strawberries, kind of indoctrinate them a little bit to who we are, why we do what we do, why they need this this in their, their life, and then move them into that cSA program um, and the other thing we 're obviously looking at other opportunities in our space like right now we 've realized that Uh, tomato plants and pepper plants, you know, in the spring aren't like super popular for us. There's a lot of other people out there doing Mm -hmm. them. So we're like, okay, we're going to back off on that except for pre-orders. But really what we found is blueberry plants, for some reason, there's not a lot of people doing that. And um, strawberry plants. For some reason, we've sold hundreds and hundreds of strawberries plants every spring, um, because that actually fits in with our other things as well. But those are the things we're constantly trying new things and dropping things depending on you know what makes sense. Um, but sometimes, literally, it's just the a tweak. Um, like I feel like if we were way more aggressive with offering garden tilling services, um, that we would then basically have a really good offer to sell them. Hey, we're not only till your garden. We will give you a quick design and then we'll supply the plants, every plant you need. I think that's a way better offer. We just haven't had the chance to implement that yet because I've got you know, nine other th- and things going on. Sure. And sure. <laughs> what we've got going on. But again, it's one of those things that sometimes you just need a little bit of a tweak and um, it will make the difference between something flying out of your farmstead or something just sitting there and you'll be like, why can't we sell this?
0: Yeah. So in essence, you're building a, a farm sales funnel. I do that online. Mm-hmm. You're doing that with your tangible goods, which I think is brilliant. I guess I've never thought of it that way. It makes sense to me in the digital world, but that's a new concept for me yeah. in the the actual well, so, world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's use a, a small flower farm as an example. So let's say you have a third of an acre in the city. That's, a, that's plenty of space to have a small flower farm. You have a little tiny greenhouse. In the spring, you can sell flowers in the people's backyards. And again, you're going to lose some customers that are now going to be growing them in their backyard. But to me, uh, 50% of the time they're going to kill them and still come back to you for flowers. Yeah. Um, the other 50% of the time, um, you've actually make really good margin on transplants. Um, that's a really high margin product. So you're going to make money in the transplant and it gives you early season cash. Then during the season, you can have, you know, obviously you pick flowers, come, you pick flowers. You can do a few like events and weddings, Um, weddings are really tough. So you want to be really careful there, but like, you know, providing a few bouquets for a garden party or something, are great doing a evening um, sip and pick where they come basically sip some wine and pick some flowers. I've heard been very successful. Um, You can do a classes. Now you can do, here's how to make a flower um, head piece. And here's how you make, you know, um, bridal, you know, all the different classes you can now offer as well. So there's right there, there's an entire business, with you know, even a, a quarter acre, even an eighth of an acre flower farm.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. Do you suggest people? I mean, I'm sure it depends on the situation. Like, you you get your one product and you just go really deep in that vertical, or what do you? Or is it more of like the I have this product and this product and this product and this product in my farm store? For someone starting out, what's the path that you would yeah. direct them down?
1: That's a great question. Um, a lot of the time, way at the beginning, you're trying a lot of things to see what sticks. Um, so with our farm, I was just looking the other day, we have over 500 SKUs in the computer. Um, so that's basically meant that we have cycled through 500 different products trying wow. to see, you know, th- brought in this, brought in this. Nope, this didn't work. Um, we've settled on probably right now in our store, we probably about 100, 120 SKUs based on what we actually have available. you um, know, obviously some of that seasonal, so like mum season, we'll have like four or five different SKUs for just mom. Sure. Um, But I I think it really depends on A, what your passion is, and B, what fits um, your market. So we obviously have a very wide diversity because we have a farm shop. And so our goal with the shop is to provide a one-stop shop for local products and uh, kind of be a little bit of a grocery store to our local community. So we've gone pretty wide. Uh, We haven't gone as deep as I would like in some things. Um, We have specific things gone really deep in, like this year we offered 50 different tomato Uh, types for the um, transplants. And I found out, yeah, it did work, but it didn't. So I'm just, we're going to drop 30 of them and just offer like 10 really big ones that we found out worked really well for us. Yep. And then anything else is special order only. Um, so I think there's that aspect of like, you could be a strawberry farm and literally go super deep in the strawberries. And we do, I mean, we have strawberry stickers, strawberry t-shirts, you could offer strawberry shortcake, you could offer, we offer strawberry plants, we offer strawberry kits in the fall for planting. So we've gone pretty deep with that. And that can be really successful because you'd then become known as the strawberry person. Yes. And to me, that really works really well. If you're in a very big Metro, because you have to differentiate typically with all the other farms in the area, but if you are like really rural, I find that you really more tend to have to be more of a generalist just to try to attract enough people to get into your your store. Um, so it really depends on it, and you're going to find out, you know, as this, as you basically talk to your customers. And again, it really goes back to what your surveys say. So every year mm-hmm. we do a summer survey and we deeply dive into exactly what our customers want. And that was one of the reasons why we spent you know the money several. Um, well, a lot of thousands of dollars, and put in our farm shop because before that we were just a, actually a transit bus we bought an old transit bus, we ripped out everything out the inside, we put shelves in there, and we put some coolers in there and we for two years we sold out of that transit bus and you know we sold hundreds of thousands of dollars through that that bus every year until we realized, okay, people are really wanting us to be able to at way have way more diversity. And a better shopping experience. And, you know, since putting that in, spending that money this spring, it has paid off. And we've seen an increased number of visits. Mm, I love that.
0: Or, or what is the role of websites, social media? And I know you mentioned email marketing. You have a warm-up sequence. Mm-hmm. For your local products, do you feel like the online world it can be really effective? Or is that more of a supplement to what you're doing, like, on the ground in your mm-hmm. community marketing? Great how question. Feel how that balance works.
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting because like obviously our strawberry funnel, that's a complete funnel now. We built that completely out and that works really well for us. Um, But like something like we do a fair amount of we'll bring in a couple pallets of peaches from up from Georgia and sell them by the box. Um, And that really, I'd say... 50% 50% of those sales come through Facebook Marketplace. So we literally just have a, a, a thing up there. We put in all the local groups. We post like once a week. We talk about how amazing they are. And we name the Pacific Orchard that they come from because that kind of has a, they have a pretty good following. Um, and again, so these people come to the store. Sometimes we'll get their information. Sometimes we won't. So that one, you know, that actually brings us some decent revenue, but we typically aren't able to capture that. Um, with the uh, strawberries, to buy tickets, they have to go to our website, read through the rules, book a ticket, and then they're automatically in our online funnel. So they've gone to our website, seen our information, and there we have the rules. We have exactly how you're supposed to pick um, because we're really picky. We do not allow people to um, pick um, eat in the field. We know no pets in the field. Um, they have to come during their time slot. We have very limited parking Um and um, we will kick people out if they don't obey the rules, but that's part of the reason and that's why we can have such a good experience and why we can charge so much is because people understand based on going through that funnel how much the strawberries, how much work it takes for us. So when we, they go through that funnel, they understand, they say, you know what? We get planted in, in um, September. We have to cover them all winter. We take covers on and off all spring to keep the blossoms alive. You know, we do this. We irrigate every single day. When they understand those different processes, they are like, oh my gosh, This is amazing. This is awesome. So excited for this. And they respect what we do more and take better care of with the field. I hear a lot of farmers talk about, oh, I just think people are walking all over the fields. They're running. They're causing problems. We don't have that problem because we have upfront built into the system, you know, A, the, if you don't behave, you're going to get kicked out and B, um, here's all the work that went into this. This is kind of like our give back to the community. Even though we make money off of the whole process, we want them to realize just how much invested we have into that so they can have a good experience and pick beautiful berries. Yeah. So I would say it works together. Um, If you have their email list, um, we had a friend of ours in, um, I think, Nova Scotia. I think they're farmers in Nova Scotia. And they lost their Facebook page with 12,000 followers, just disappeared overnight. They have no idea what happened to it. Um, And Meta couldn't help them. So if you don't have that email list and you had everyone on social media, you're kind of out. So that's why I would always recommend, you know, again, a website only two the, the only website does for you is it provides basically a online digital billboard and a way to get email signups and a way to put out more information. Um, so, I mean, you technically could use local harvest as your kind of you know, website. Uh, although w- local harvest is not owned by you with the website, you own it. So you control what's on there and all of that and local harvest could go down tomorrow. So that's why we t- highly recommend your own website linked to some social media. Social media to us is kind of pulling new people in and keeping people updated on what's going on. Um, and then obviously the whole goal is to get them on our website, get that email. And so we continue to market to them um, throughout the season for other crops.
0: Yeah, I totally agree on the email. I've um, seen that in my business as well. When and just even with algorithms, I've never lost an account on social media, but mm-hmm. the algorithms tank or they do their weird things and you just lose all the contact to sometimes hundreds of thousands of people. So the email is is gold.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I know one of the big problems that farmers and producers face is that price block because you know Americans, not just Americans, probably other people in other countries too, they're not used to paying what food actually costs. And so I know a lot of people struggle when they're marking their, their meat or their produce or their vegetables um, to what they need to, to actually make an income, you you get consumer complaints. So how do you help people reconcile that or help communicate to the Uh customer? I know you mentioned your email service, so they know why the strawberries are so valuable. Do you have any other tips along those lines?
1: yeah I think the biggest thing is um you know again, I was on another podcast earlier last week and we were talking this exact thing how people go and see you know milk at a dollar ninety nine a gallon and then the local herd share is literally eleven dollars a gallon so you know what's the difference um and I made the <laughs> uh, the, you know, the comparison between a, a Yugo, which I think is a, a Yugo car and, you know, a Toyota Tacoma, mm-hmm. which, you know, Toyota Tacoma, you know, the, the Top Gear guys literally dropped it off the top of the building and flooded it with salt water. The thing still drove compared to the Yugo, which broke down every turn and was literally the worst weighted car ever. So it's, it, to me, it's like that, you know, what would you rather have if you need to get your family safely to around town, you're going to spend the money for something that's much better quality. Yeah. And I would say 99% of the time, the local farmer is going to have way better quality and care way more about the food than um, the mass-produced, commercially grown product. Now, how do you convince people for that? Um, I mean, obviously, the big one is, do you care? You know, talking about the aspect that you care, that they know the name of your farmer, that's always reassuring for them, especially if, you know, again— thinking about hood does hood really care about the milk that you're getting is safe no they really only care about not getting sued so they're going to go as close to that line as possible and that's all they care about um And then the nutrition content, too. We all know that local food, uh, freshly harvested, is going to be better as well. So talking about the aspects of flavor, talking about the aspects of freshness, talking about the aspect of you knowing the name of your farmer, being able to go to your farm and see what's going on, I think is really important. Um, So getting sharing that, and some people aren't going to get it. In fact, most people aren't going to get it. In our town, we live in a very um, blue-collar, older clientele, and and we know that most of the people are just not going to get why we charge, you know, $4.99 $4.99 a pound for early tomatoes. Yeah. Um, and they'll come in and they'll shop a little bit. And we know that they're going to end up going down the street to the other farm um, market, which again grows field tomatoes conventionally and charges, um, I think they're maybe like $3 a pound. Um, so that's why we've gone to, you know, we're not focusing on that clientele. We're focusing on the people in our area, which thankfully we have a relatively large metro area that are willing to pay that kind of money and are looking for a source of local food that they know the name of the farmer and can trust that have grown well. So that's the thing is not everyone is going to be a customer and you have to realize that and you have to literally in even your advertising, even in what you're doing, pulling people in is make that differentiation is be very clear about that you're going to be more expensive or otherwise you're going to have a lot of people get really upset. So when we charge for strawberries, the, on the page that they sign up for tickets, it says the price of the berries. Yeah. On the ticket, it says the price of the berries. When they come into the store, we tell them this is the price of the berries you're going to go pick. And that way when they come for checkout, they know exactly what were they're going to get charged for those berries. And I think maybe we had three people this year complain Um and most of those just complained because they bought a ticket and then had to go pick berries as well but um it's been working so far so we're going to keep the price of the tickets
0: yeah and i think that that piece about not trying to convert the people who don't want to be converted that was it's such that was hard for me but like we raised yeah. grass-finished beef and it's more it costs more than walmart beef right and so um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we get you, you when i'm trying to market or i'm trying to deal with walmart shoppers they complain but i had to you know really get into my own head like you cannot be trying to convert those people maybe they'll come around later but that's not your job your job is to find the people who already know why they like grass-finished beef why they prioritize that and just go with them so that's i think it's it's such a little thing but it can be really impactful as your marketing
1: Yeah. And and not everyone, I mean, you think about it, not everyone is going to be interested in buying a a Lexus, but there's such a nice car. And so the people that really want a Lexus are going to appreciate that and are willing to spend the money and are really excited about it. Um, But there are other people that are going to go out there and buy a Ford Taurus. And again, that's on them.
0: Exactly. Yep. There's there's enough to go around. We just got to find the right people. Yeah. So as we, we kind of, go ahead, go ahead.
1: But one final thought on that before we, you know, move on is that there is that point where you start exhausting those people and you need to start educating. So that's where we do have those onboarding sequences or those nurture sequences where we kind of tell people about, Hey, did you know this about the the conventional food system? Or did you even know this about certified organic that, you know, they now allow CAFOs and they allow, um, hydroponic. And so once people start to understand those, I think one of the great, um, travesties. And I guess I think on some aspects is on purpose and other aspects is just because, but people are so tied up with the sports and the entertainment and the things that are kept busy with because they're supposed to, that they lacked the time to look at their food. And if they were to actually do the research, like my wife does, you know, when she's nursing the baby, trying to put them down, put her down, she's scrolling the Instagram and saying, Oh, these are not good for you now. And Oh my gosh, did you know that the, um, in the fragrant in the, um, The latest thing was in those little plug-in, Glade plug-ins, that the stuff that makes the scent stick to you so when you leave their house, you still smell like that Glade plug-in, that's cancer-causing. It's basically a sticky thing that sticks onto your skin and your clothes, and it's cancer-causing. She's like, did you know that? I was like, I had no idea. So that's the kind of stuff that, in one aspect, they don't want you to find out, but another aspect, a lot of people just don't have the time because they're so busy and all these other things, and that's why I think, on some aspects, one of the best things you can do for yourself it's almost just do a cold turkey cutoff. like we're going to stop all the sports we're going to stop all the things i even think moving to another state for a little bit might be just kind of reset the system mm-hmm. and just kind of get yourself like uh let's really take a look at this um and see where do things because again if you don't i think a lot of the times you're ending up in the hospital or you're ending up with some other challenges you didn't realize were going to happen
0: yeah it's, it's just really easy to get lulled to sleep especially because in our culture we just do the next mm-hmm. thing we're in the rat race we just go along with the flow and then we don't realize. Um, what the decisions we're making can be so damaging. Uh-huh. Yeah. absolutely and those glade plugins are nasty. I will attest there now. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with your wife. <laughs> um so as we're kind of rolling up on time here, getting ready to land the plane. I'd love to just talk about farmers' markets for a minute. And I know that's like a huge topic. We probably could do a whole episode mm-hmm. on that. Um, I have heard folks say that, you know, farmers markets are the magic key, it's their bread and butter. And then I've heard others say, mm-hmm. others say, don't bother with them, I lose, like you said, you know, you lose money on the booths, the first bit. So what are your thoughts? Like, do you have any tips for someone trying to enter into the farmer yeah. world with their product?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely a great question. Because up in New York, our business was basically built on farmers markets, 90% of our revenue came through farmers markets. Um, I mean, like we got to the <laughs> it was mostly cash that literally we would have two bank bags because one bank bag would not hold all the money again this was it was just one of those things that we were doing thousands and thousands of dollars at the farmer's market so farmer's markets are fabulous for specific farms they were great for us we were young we had a young crew we were large enough that we had people that met us at the markets that did the markets with us i only had to do markets twice a month at the end of the farm that we were running up there um so they can be fabulous and the beautiful thing about farmer's markets is people that are interested in good food go to farmer's markets so you. You're going to find your, av- your, your best avatar is at the farmers markets. That's typically where they're going to go. So you got your perfect customer there. The problem is you're looking at weather, you're looking at booth fees, you're looking at very political farm uh, farm market boards. You know farmers are very independent, and then you stick them in and the, try to make them make decisions together. And I have literally been in uh, market meetings that literally almost came to blows. So again, it can be very toxic. People can be kicked out for no reason. Um, very interesting. Uh, model. But again, we did really well. And it can be, as you said, your bread and butter. But what I would say is we actually did a course on farmer's markets um, that we teach. But in the course, we actually say, hey, farmer's markets are great, but build your email list. Figure out channels outside of markets, and some of our the people we've seen that have done really successful is they use markets for years to build their base, and they stop doing markets. They're like, you know, we're done. We've built the base we need to. We've attracted the customers we need to to feed our business, and now we just bring in new people through our other customers, uh, word of mouth advertising, and we do not need to go to the market anymore. And either people come to us, or we do like drop sites or home delivery or something like that. So fabulous way. There's a lot you can do. They can be incredibly profitable. But they can be very draining as well, you know. So we were up in New York. We did over a thousand farmers markets over the ten years or eleven years we were in business. So yeah, Yeah. we got experience, but it's pretty tough. And you can systematize it. So we had it down to a system where the trucks we took to market were custom designed in the back, so that we had you know everything we needed exactly where we needed it, and we can make that a really easy setup.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I kind of figured it just probably. Is a great way to get the the word out, but that's awesome uh-huh. to the point uh-huh. where you have, absolutely you know you're kind of self sustaining with word of mouth email like you said, and I think that's kind of the dream is to get to that point where you don't have to go be actively you know be in the streets every weekend,
1: yeah yeah well i I think my kids would really enjoy we actually did like a little uh pop-up farmer's market for one of our retailers. And the kids loved it. So I think if you do have young kids, that could actually be a really good Saturday morning thing with them. If, if It depends on your schedule and all of that. But it can be something you can do as a family. It can be a lot of fun. And it can, I think it's really good training for kids. A, you can teach them about money. You can teach them about customer service. Um, so again, to me, having your family involved is super great. And that's one great way to make that connection.
0: Yeah, I agree. We We don't do farmer's markets, but we have our little restaurant in our local area and um it's been a lot of ups and downs but i think one of the best parts is having the kids involved you know they're they're watching us order food they're watching us um renovate they they've learned how to take orders they know how to run the cash register they're they're hearing the conversations <clears throat> excuse me and i'm like that's been priceless um that's been worth all the headache mm-hmm. is just having them actively involved so i think i could see the farmer's market being the same absolutely yeah All right. Oh my goodness. I have a frog in my throat. It happens every time I try to record an interview. Um, Michael, this has been so good. This has been so much actionable information. I know you have a ton of amazing content. You have an incredible podcast. You have courses and all sorts of programs. Can you give us kind of the rundown so people know how they can plug in with you to get that next level of information?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So to get started, thrivingfarmerpodcast.com is where our podcast is. I think we have over 200 something episodes and it's mostly just deep dives with people that are farming, people that are interested in agriculture and just their uh, experiences and their, um, how they make it work. Um, we also have growingfarmers.com. That's our main platform for learning about the different trainings we have. We also have growelderberry.com and, um, We've got a bunch of other little mini sites as well. But if you go to growingfarmers.com, you'll find all the information we do. Um, And again, we're focused more on people that are looking to go and make money off their homestead. Mm -hmm. Uh, But some things like the Grow Elderberry, that's really an introduction course as well. So that's if you're just interested in doing some for your own um, household, that's a really good resource as well. But um, yeah, we're passionate about people thriving if their homestead and their farm. And uh, that's what uh, keeps us going.
0: Yeah, I love it. I just want to say to my audience, um, I have invested a lot of money over the years in business coaches and mentors. And it's been some of the best money I've spent. Um, The world of business can be confusing and there's so much noise online. I mean, there's lots of free information, but when you can get aligned with someone who really knows the space and they can really shortcut your growth and take away, excuse me, a lot of that guesswork. So uh, if you're wanting to start a farm, if you're wanting to make money from your homestead, I would say go invest in some of Michael's He's not paying me to say this, but I just know how valuable it can be
1: absolutely I, I, that's when i'm trying to do something new i'm typically going to youtube watching five or ten videos find the best person there i find and then i typically invest yeah. heavily in, um if they offer something or a book or a resource there because yeah right now it's all about trying to figure out how to do it uh faster with less uh less mistakes yeah i'm
0: the same way so i'm like okay where's your paid product i like you i like what you have to say like work I, here's my money take my money yes. i need the course yeah so go to that next level right yeah, yes. so yeah i want the shortcut want, yep just go for it yeah Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know this has been inspiring to me and I know my audience will be loving it as well. So thanks for taking the time to share your expertise and knowledge. And I look forward to chatting more in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.